It's no secret, product managers are faced with numerous challenges on a daily basis. We're challenged with getting new offers to market, staying above the competition, dealing with wild ideas from leadership team, and more. It's a job that requires constant attention to detail. But fear not, we've got your back. We're here to help you stay on top of the latest industry trends. We'll explore the creative and innovative strategies that product leaders are using in this rapidly evolving world. Welcome to Can I Speak to Your Product Manager? The nitty gritty with your favorite PMs. I'm Kyle Kolich, Vice President of Product at Zora. And I'm Lucas Weber, Director of Product Management at Zora. On today's episode, we have Akhil Kashab, Senior Product Manager at eBay. And we're going to start off the show by talking about his recent Never Have I Ever moment, uh, as well as his best tips and insights for being a successful PM in the ever-evolving landscape of product management. Thanks for joining us today, Akhil. Uh, So each episode, we like to kick things off with a little game of Never Have I Ever. Never have I ever. Never have I ever. Never have I ever. Because as a product manager, you probably get pushed to do things outside what you initially thought possible. And no matter what, it magically gets done. So we wanted to bring your experience on the outside to the inside of the life of a PM and get to know you a little better at the same time. So, Akhil, tell us a little bit about your never have I ever. Okay. Thanks, Kyle, Lucas, for the welcome. Really appreciate it. So honestly, I thought a lot about this, never have I ever, and there are so many things in life that, you know, I have never experienced. But I think one thing that really changed my perspective of life in general was, you know, I spent about two years of my life when I was in business school pretty alone without my family. And that was unfortunate because my wife and my six-month-old daughter had to come and they ran into visa issues, so we, they couldn't really come for two years. And before that, I was, you know, I gave up a really high-flying career to pursue a dream to come to the U.S. and pursue uh, an MBA uh, from here. And I was questioning myself a lot of times for those two years, uh, you know, whether I was doing even the right thing without my family and my kid. And I think that really changed my perspective on life that, you know, career is not really the only thing in life. You have so many other, you know, things you need, such as big support of your family to be successful in life. And in those two years, it was the support system around my university, my friends, my, you know, the connections that I made at school that helped me, you know, overcome a difficult two years. And I joke uh, that in my last six months of my MBA, I got my daughter over and she was alone with me and me, my daughter and the friend of mine, we were living together in, in like in a house and literally my whole class took care of my daughter. So she used to come with me to my business school, sitting eight hours in my classes. And literally my whole school got to know her and even when I, you know, post on social media today, everyone asks about, you know, my daughter, Nora, as she goes by. So, uh, you know, those are th- that was a difficult time, but it really changed my outlook towards life and made me more compassionate, made me more, you know, a little bit more uh, 
emotional as well about and i think made me realize that you know world is so much more than just career or product management that's an interesting perspective how old was your daughter both at the you know through this process because i mean 2 years that's a long time particularly uh when you have a new family yeah so my daughter was about 6 months old when i came here it was oh wow it was july 2016 when i came here she was born in november 2015 so you know she was supposed to come in a month or two but that month and two or two took two years to almost you know come by so yeah right. well, that's unbelievable so uh so not only did uh, did you leave right almost after your daughter was born i mean those are some amazing times um so i can imagine how hard that could have been for you and then <laughs> you also bring up the fact that then your daughter actually came and was with you in business school for 8 hours when she was what 2 and a half <laughs> that's an amazingly well behaved yep. daughter oh my goodness yeah she's very well behaved <laughs> it's impressive <laughs> yeah my my kids would not uh at that age sit and hang out it'd be it'd be constant chaos so that's uh, it's, that's pretty good my my wife was in a different location and she had to leave my daughter with the grandparents so she was moving around and so you know she literally stayed with you know so many people that i think she just knew at a very early age you know just to be calm and quiet in a very strange surroundings <laughs> if i can yeah. not okay, ideal but yeah but I don't know. I think you'll find that kids are amazing at adapting and potentially she'll pull a lot of strength from from that experience just because she was with so many, you know, adults and serious situations, right? Like she was basically treated like an adult and behaved yeah. like an adult even so young, you know. So, I think you'll find that that will be uh, quite a boost to her uh in in her life. I I'm, I'm sure, you know. So, Absolutely. kids are, are quite a yeah, Maybe she started did she started business afterwards, like do a lemonade stand after all that <laughs> MBA work. <laughs> <laughs> maybe someday <laughs> so akil you mentioned uh two two parts really about um you know first one was obviously the support network of of your friends right that allowed you to to kind of carry through for those two years um obviously it was important then did you find that those friendships lasted beyond that time i mean you do mention that obviously folks are coming back to you on social uh, media but you know are there was there other value that you got out of that tight those friendships that you've made during your time at school can you talk a little bit about that yeah absolutely so i went to business school at rice in houston and primarily that was a very it still is a very investment banking financial school at that time you know we didn't really have a lot of people going into technology per se and i think a lot of connections you know that i made there were it was first of all a very diverse network we had people from all over the world right latin america europe of course america india china etc i think the biggest thing that was that we, that i took away was that the way that you know all of us came together and solved problems etc i think that created a mindset within us all of us that you know we are in a global setting a lot of businesses are done globally of course you know at ebay at zora you'll see people from all around the world you know in like projects and teams and i think it gave a really interesting perspective of how different people think and work so you know before that i was in india we had a you know a 
a different type of mindset of working out there so that was literally my first exposure into you know how people work in a different setting that was one i think mba in general gives you a lot of very general skills you get a very basic understanding of hey what does finance mean for example right like how do you value a company at a very high level i was very interested in finance at one point of time and i thought i want to go and do finance because i had worked in investment banking so i had applied to this this endowment fund a very coveted fund and you know, i had to write dcf models and an equity report to get in and i got in surprisingly i still don't know but and that was through a network as well because i think you know people knew me and i was hard working and a lot of times i think people pay attention to you know your hard work etc is important but you know the other qualities that you have of how you deal with people how you interact with people you know i think those are so important qualities to get you know a nudge when you have a decision to be made for me i was very clear i wanted to do a very general understanding of different businesses so i took literally plethora of courses and i still you know those connections are not only with the friends it's also with the professors it's also with you know some organizations that we worked with so we just had a five year reunion and we, i went back and i was able to connect with a lot of friends who are now at you know venture capital or private equity and those sort of positions and you know when they talk about stuff i don't feel aloof i am I, i'm not an expert of when they talk about leverage buyouts for example but i can understand the term and i can relate i and i can talk and tomorrow if i am you know maybe there's an opportunity of us working together we will but in general i think it opens up a lot of avenues you just have to use it the right way so it gave you kind of a bit of a a, a network um uh, but it also gave you the ability to kind of see how other business work kind of what the finance operations are there did that give you kind of inspiration on you know how you run your product or how you're thinking you know a new product come out of some of those conversations with with a very different groups of people so i think not really from a product lens but i think the people that you work with i think it gives a lot of relevance there for example like for example if you are you know in, in your field as well a product person works with so many different groups right sometimes if you are working with let's say you know corporate strategy they come up with a high level strategy hey let's do this for the company now they think in a very certain a very different way they are full of decks and they are full of you know stories now if you have you know kind of had people who you you know worked with before or functions that you worked with before you are able to connect with them and you are able to understand the rational not everything they are saying is true but you have to pick out what is you know the fluff versus or the noise from the actual meat and uh, i think when you know about some of this stuff you are able to do that otherwise a lot of times i've seen people you know take for granted if you know a higher executive is telling hey or a team is telling hey let's go and do this initiative but you, know, you have you as a product guy you have to figure out you know a lot of details from those high level strategy decks that come out <laughs> kind of kind of kind of see the signal through the noise right be able to kind of see that through all that uh the, through that fil- all these different filters yeah that makes sense 
The other thing I would have uh, I would have used your network for, which is really fascinating, right? That you have now really contacts where folks went to different companies and have different perspectives is that when you are challenged with like corporate strategy, right? You might actually have a friend outside to say, you know, what is, what, how do you look at the world? Why, why do you look at things from a corporate strategy perspective in that particular way? It's a great way to kind of sound out some of the ideas or experiences that you're having, broadly speaking, right? So that you can understand where other people are coming from. And of course, you've worked with a diverse group of folks who had different interests and maybe different, um, you know, focused on different things. And so that's a great way to get an even broader perspective, not just from your experience over time, but just having a network that has had similar time to have various experiences that you can now compare and discuss. So it's great to have that to 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 lean on and, and call in times when maybe you're, you're not quite sure what's going on uh, or how to interpret, you know, certain strategies, things that are going on. Very good. Wow. So lots of uh, kind of really hard times for you on the MBA side, but so many great things coming out of it as well. Uh, and it, it sounds like you've, you've learned a lot through that um, time. Do you find that uh, product management is <laughs> after that equally hard, or was that a really you know particularly interesting period of your of your life? I've always I, I've had a different perspective of on product management than quite a bit of other folks, and maybe I can share a little bit. So even pre MBA, when I was working as an engineer, as a business analyst, etc. You know, I used to always think from the lens of, you know, how would people use this product, for example? I think that's such an important thing. And what is the problem that we are solving? What is the outcome that we are interested in? You know, do, are we just making, doing something for the sake of checking the box, for example? There, and the, there are so many things we do on a daily basis, which are check the box things, right? But when you, when we actually talk about delivering projects or delivering features or delivering outcomes, does it add any value? And I think that is my fundamental belief on project product management. And I mean, after MBA, I went into corporate strategy at Dell and I worked and go to market as well. And I literally applied the same principles there as well. Like what is the outcome that we are trying to try? You know, is the outcome, you know, just because, you know, we have to do a project or is the outcome going to, you know, help us affect our bottom line, top line, for example, right? So those are things that you could apply outside of product, you know, even if you're not building a feature, if you're, you know, solving a project, solving a problem. Really, really, I think thinking from an outcome perspective and, you know, what is the ROI on that, for example? How would people use this new process or model or function? I think that is the key to, I think being successful at even building products because here the problem has just shifted from, you know, let's say a very uh, a different organization to now you are building something which people are going to use. So that's the only difference, right? You're using technology to solve the problem. And I think that's how I kind of think that, you know, the, uh, the more that you are aware and you think in this model from an outcome-driven perspective, I think the more successful you are in solving any problem, be it a product problem per se. Gotcha. So whether it's product or process or whatever it might be that you're working on, you're recommending, you know, look at the the outcome, right? Assume that it, let's say you can snap your fingers, it's done. 
have you arrived at a point of value uh, that you were intending, right? Rather than, because a lot of times when a problem is presented, people jump straight into the how, right? Like, oh, that's going to be hard, or uh, we could definitely do it this way, et cetera. But like really getting a deep understanding of whether the outcome is what's desired, is it even worth it, right? But if you're anchored on that, that's then becomes a very strong vision and a motivating factor for everybody because you know what you're what you're shooting for. And you've got the goals and the metrics should be easy to establish and things. Makes a lot of sense. But that's a challenge, though. It's always like, what is the problem you're trying to solve tends to uh, be sometimes the bigger challenge. But once you do, you're right. Once you do understand what is the problem we're trying to solve that has the outcome that we're trying to achieve, then things seem to lock in place. But I also, from my experience, it's always been good to keep revisiting that statement. Because sometimes when you go down that journey, you sometimes forget what that problem was and you're going down somewhere and all of a sudden you look back going, does that what we started off with? Uh, so always going back to that re- refreshing, uh, what, you know, what, what are we trying to solve? What is the outcome again? Is this really, is this, this, is that feature? Is that what we're doing? Is that what we're, we're planning? Will that adhere to that? That's exactly. a good check checkpoint to, yeah. to keep you moving the right direction. And it reminds me of this very, I think abused word in our world, which is not start when, <laughs> <laughs> when, oh, yeah. you know i mean it is uh, yeah when you know of course i mean when we are saying not star we want to build the whole utopian product but a lot of times people get stuck in hey this is not not star line let's not do this versus you know looking into the immediate future looking into you know thinking yes you have to kind of think through you know the the perfect solution but a perfect solution never ever exists uh, right so you have to build a solution that fits in you know, as perfectly as possible for your customers, for your team, for your uh, organization. But if you just keep thinking, oh, I'm going to wait till I build the perfect solution, that point will never come. <laughs> I, I don't think, yeah, I don't think anyone, yeah, I don't think I've ever done that where I build the perfect solution and it's like, oh, it's ready to go. There's no problems. It's, it's ready, it's perfect. Solves all the problems. It's always an iterative, you know, you're going back and forth, checking. Sometimes you have to re- you know, scratch it, do it over again. And I think that's part of like part of the innovation. It's not like uh, I think that theory of like, a, you know, the lone genius in the corner that comes up with the, the solution. I mean, it, it takes a team. It takes many types of iterations on it. Keeps plugging away, validating with customer. It's not like you go in the corner and goes, I come up with the perfect product. We're ready to go. It's not that easy. Which I think is a good transition to the second segment. Maybe some wild tales. Again, what's kind of top of mind uh, for you as a, as, a, as a PM? Like, uh, what, what are you thinking of uh, from an innovation standpoint? Yeah, so I think, you know, as a, as a PM, you always want to do the, you know, this interesting, innovative work that, you know, that is lying somewhere within the org and, you know, you want to start to do that. But, at the same time, you also have your daily responsibilities or, you know, things that have to be done. For example, you know, I mean, a lot of times you're not really building new products in your world as well. There are, you know, probably 50, 60, 70% of the times you are building iterative features on top of existing products. And I think there's a, there's a, a very big opportunity there to kind of rethink especially if you are new to you know, the team or the org. And 
I think innovation can also mean thinking through a different lens. Like for example, you know, we have built a solution for, you know, I look at eBay, I work in the customer support team where we build tools for our, you know, what we call as teammates who uh, uh, who solve problems for all the customers who reach out to us. Now, you know, there are, you know, our tech stack is fairly old, you know, improving that tech stack is an innovation in itself, right? Uh, adding thinking from a different lens on, you know, how do you, how do you provide some interesting data points to our to our teammates so that they can solve problems in a faster way and we have less customer churn. That is innovation as well, right, in my view. And I think that is something that if we all, uh, as product managers, think of, you know, our customers on an everyday basis, how they use their product, you will see so many things that you can improve. And, uh, you know, I personally, for example, I sit with, I shadow with a person using our product every day for an hour. And every week I feel like, oh my God, there is so much things that we can improve for their experience. But, you know, I have a backlog of that as well. So I'm saying that's one part of innovation, you know, continuous improvement on your existing product. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things is too, is new gets flashy. Like the new thing is always the fun thing, you know, that you go on stage, you, you show it off, but it's that incremental change you do with your core product or some of the products you just released a couple of years ago to really drive out, you know, drive up adoption, uh, drive up real value from it, you know, tie, tie into, you know, what the, you know, that customer, uh, you know, high NPS, you know, happy with the product. And that's, that's, that's the kind of the harder grind, right? There's not as much glory, but the end state, you make a customer happy, you get, you know, the, the product gets better. It keeps evolving. Uh, it's, it's a, it's a very important, uh, uh, skill. And that is true. That's, that's innovation there as well. Yeah. Right. And, uh, I mean, I'll give one example more where I don't know how many of you have used eBay too much. Uh, I, but e eBay is, if you see the experience now versus maybe a couple of years back, it's fairly different. And I'm not responsible at all for that. I cannot take any credit, but the team I work with, you know, there's a very big focus on, you know, eBay was a very buyer-centric company before. Now we have become very a very buyer plus a seller-centric as well. And we want to give a lot of focus on how we treat our sellers. And some of the initiatives that we have worked, I have worked over the last year or so on removing frauds and, uh, you know, uh, items that should not be on the marketplace and treating our sellers in a very fair way. I have seen, you know, when I go in an Uber or go in a, in a flight and I talk to, you know, people uh, who are uh, with me and, you know, then when they give me feedback, oh, you know, like I had, you know, I was selling on eBay a few years back and I had this problem as a seller. Now it's improved considerably. That is, you know, the kind of feedback that you want to look into. That's innovation, right? We didn't really do too many incremental, you know, changes, but we have improved our processes. We have improved our features. We have improved our, of course, tech stack as well. That has all contributed to, you know, this change in perception that sellers had previously. Sometimes it's, you know, not really the sexy thing that is actually innovation, but the small things, they play a big part in improving measuring success yeah it makes sense i mean for, you know the 
best times uh, from a product management from my side are always the ones where the customer recognizes the work that you've done, right? So the fact that you are having eBay customers come back to you, sellers, right, and say that the experience has fundamentally proved. I mean, that is that is just an amazing way to get feedback that, you know, things are being done correctly, right, and are moving in the right direction. Uh, it's always very, uh, very encouraging and, and uplifting. I think there's a lot of focus especially since the last six months about when AI and generative AI and how can this thing, you know, help the whole organization, right? What are the key first initiatives you want to use cases you want to look at? And I don't think AI is new. I mean, AI has always been there, right? I think it's been there since 1980s, but, you know, we didn't have the processing power at that time. Now, you know, chat GPT and all these Things have made it fairly accessible for all of us. I have been asked in the last few days to you know, consider, think about you know, how we can improve our some things using AI, for example. So uh, I think you know it's going to be interesting conversation, and I lean back to maybe some of my network. You know, I'm I'm making new friends with you as well. You know, maybe to understand how different people are now using, you know, AI to improve their customers' experience, maybe. And you don't really need to reinvent the wheel here, but you need to be stay up with the competition. That's so important. That's right. That's right. And it is a very exciting technology. And of course, you know, we've seen this come and go over the years, right? Different things. I mean, there was blockchain and Bitcoin, right? At one point, everybody was super excited that, and you know, as we're part of a, a billing system and payments ecosystem, right? That was a big deal. Like, should we invest there? The generative AI is definitely very hyped right now, and uh, folks are trying to, you know, see where the value is for for the tool. Which I think comes back to, you know, your point is. Focus on the value, right? This is just yet another tool in the toolkit, technology, uh, to, to get you where you need to go. Um, but it is an exciting time and nothing like trying it out, doing a prototype, you know, fail fast, see if it actually does what it needs to do, learn from it, right? And and be educated to to provide feedback on what are those outputs that maybe you could get out of it using these these new capabilities. That's absolutely right. And I think the problem is in this new technology, it's flashy and they don't think of it how is it going to help the customer? Like, you know, w w it's it's still a tool and you got to think it through the customer's lens of how it can make their lives easier where they're using it. Like you said, you shadow uh, your customer. You can see how they're interacting with it. Is it making it easier for them? Are they just thinking, oh, it's flashy. You have this in there, but it's actually, it's not saving me time. It's not helping me as a seller and it's not really working. But if it's really helping you as a seller, which was the target you were looking at, it's an opportunity to to do that. It's good. Are there any other things or, or insights that you you know might want to uh, point out with that kind of innovation? Uh, are there things, other things you're you're thinking of, given what, what's going on out there in the market? I think I mean, currently the the only big focus right now, especially I mean, you know, eBay as a company, we have a lot of different focus. I was just reading today about live streaming shopping as a fifty billion dollar market. And, you know, eBay started some initiatives there as well. I mean, I think TikTok has made it huge. So uh, I, I don't know the use case of how, why would people do live stream shopping? But apparently, you know, there is a use case there. <laughs> For that, there. right? Yeah, yeah. Maybe it's kind of like unboxing. You know, there's, my kids were all into unboxing videos where it's the excitement of getting something new. Maybe this is the excitement of, 
window shopping with somebody else, except it's not window shopping, it's actual shopping, right? And you get right. more of these opportunities from home and you get to see more things and there's people doing a commentary and you get kind of that live feedback from, you know, being with a friend, right, so to speak, there and, and highlighting certain products, more like a curated uh, fashion advisor sort of thing. I could see that work. Right? So that well, like a live okay. auction? Live auction, everyone's going back and forth, bidding, you know, you, I mean, that might be kind of exciting. Yeah, eBay's launching, I think, either launched or launching that pretty soon. So that is going to be a very interesting as well. So, I mean, there are a lot of tons of other interesting initiatives, but unfortunately, you know, you cannot be part of everything, right? So you can, you have to do your, you know, day to day job and hope that, you know, you get some exciting thing to work on or make, you know, your day-to-day life interesting in other way possible. So I think that's another interesting thing about product management that people don't realize. A lot of students come back to me and say, hey, I want to do product management. I want to launch this and launch that. And a very fundamental question I ask is, why do you want to do that? And they have, you know, no answer just because it is in the news cool you know is that and there are so many good other cool things that you know you could go and do but we've all been there right in general our, our you know 80 percent of, of our time is spent on you know tasks that are fairly you know mundane for example and you have to do those tasks well to succeed that's good. No, Akil, I think you've brought up a, a really interesting point. And the reason why I will pick it up is because we have a segment called PM Power Moves, or, you know, let's get into the, the real day-to-day. Power. Power enough. Power Moves. What are one of the things that, that kind of surprised you about being PM from a day perspective where you never thought you'd have to do that, right? Um, because of what goes on day-to-day. Right. Uh, so are there some interesting stories there that you you found you were just surprised you knew what you were going to do that day and it, it just went completely differently than you thought? Yeah. So, so I think, I mean, of course, you know, all our, we have our meeting set up, our calendars are always full with, you know, a new product discovery, talking to our customers, talking to engineers, scrum calls, etc. Right. Those are, but I think what people sometimes don't realize is that, you know, a PM's, at least, you know, a PM's job is to get work done, right? Sometimes if you don't have things which are not working out, you know, you can't really say and go back to people to say, hey, I didn't have a program manager connect with, didn't send out this report. And that's why, you know, we were not able to get the other team aligned. So sometimes you have to pick up slack of other people's work. And that is part of the job. And sometimes you have to pick up job of a program manager. Sometimes you have to pick up job of a data analyst. Sometimes you have to pick up job of, uh, you know, maybe an engineer and get into, you know, details like, hey, what is the API giving us? And, you know, those kind of details. So I think, you know, it's a very adaptable role, which I like personally, but at the same time, it has its challenges that, you know, you don't really get to work on, you know, when you come into morning and say, hi, I'm going to work two hours creating this six-page strategy document. And then there's a production issue that came in. And then you are there the whole night 
trying to fix it and you know that strategy document is gone for is postponed for the next few days right and these kind of things happen all the time and i think we have to as a pm you have to be very adaptive to you know do all of these roles i mean even in my job even probably in your job you've seen i mean uh, on a very daily basis we have to deal with i mean you have to you have to take over a you have to take over other people's jobs sometimes to get work done the and show must go on right <laughs> exactly you play, you play many many hats you're right you're you're, you're working on the strategy deck strategy uh, concepts work on design the product you talk to customers uh you're doing podcasts i mean you're you're, you're pretty much doing everything it's uh <laughs> the role of the pm exactly and for people who are you know don't like talking to people or don't like interacting with people and want to sit in a corner the roles not meant for them or they have not have seen people who are not successful at this role because you know it's a very relationship driven role as well a small relationship here and there can you know help things move you know six months sometimes like it's all very yeah. soft right very very soft influence because you know it's not really people don't report all to you um yeah yeah i don't have engineering report to me right uh and yet Ultimately, they're 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 the ones building this stuff. So it's, yeah, it's all a lot of aligning and and soft influence to get things done. Absolutely right. Good point. And it also again, you ground it with the customer, and you ground it with the vision, and you have them kind of being part of that vision helps too, right? It's, it's always hard when someone comes to you goes, "I have this vision, do it." But if you go, "Hey, let me think about this vision with you," and you work with an engineer or when your counterparts or whoever, and they kind of contribute to that vision, it makes it so much easier to get that alignment. Across all different groups, um, which helps drive forward what you want to do. So it's it's, uh, it's again you're playing many hats. Great point, Kyle. Yeah, I mean I always like to think of sometimes when I go with to and especially if you are in a new team, new product, if you know go with their mindset that ask seek for help from them because they probably know so much more than you, and sometimes they can contribute so much more on product ideas and features. because you don't know it too well at this point you are just theoretical versus they are more practical and in the weeds and i've had so much great advice coming from engineering teams on improving things having them as a partner rather than just me making telling them hey go and do this work that i created on a prt versus hey why don't you contribute to the prt as well exactly yeah the partnership is huge yeah getting them to contribute to that is 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 the key Yeah. You can't design stuff that can't be built, right? And right. you want to build things that don't drive a value to the customer. So it has to be a partnership uh between the two parties for for sure and obviously the the customer and and hopefully in alignment as Kyle said, you know, with the company vision, right? You're not just building something that's outside of that uh that scope. Very 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 cool. Um any other insights or like crazy emails you've gotten or calls from, you know, customers or maybe any of the um partners that you're working with that that kind of uh you know was a surprise to you recently so I wouldn't really call it crazy and i i gave it a good thought uh, <laughs> but i think uh, we had, we had a fairly broad discussion last week and i'm sure you everyone has this three or four different teams working on an initiative and you're reaching nowhere for like weeks and you have built all sort of prototypes and you have built all sort of like 
design approaches, options, but you've reached a stalemate on you know, how do we proceed next because it's a partnership between different teams. And we've been in stalemate for a couple of weeks on mm-hmm. this. So I think there was an interesting thread that went along that how do we get out of this stalemate and a couple of business teams and product managers, they came along and we said, let's get into a room and get into a five-hour discussion and solve this rather than having five one-hour meetings on a daily basis. Let's lock ourselves in a room and we will not come out till we get this done. So <laughs> till That's we at awesome. least have a direction. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So break through the analysis paralysis thing, right? Or just... Yeah. Wow. That's very cool. Yeah, that's true. A good plan now is better than a perfect plan later, right? In some instances and just pick a direction and and then you can always iterate because management's all about change, right? It's not about perfection. So that that's awesome. So it sounds like, did it really take five hours and did you guys come out with a, with a direction? So, I mean, we had a four hour session today and uh-huh. uh, we, we, today. we came out yeah, it was it was today morning, 7 a.m. to like, you know, 11 or 12. But we did come out with an hypothesis and a direction. And I think what really helped was getting in some key players into the room as well, which we didn't have before. So sometimes, you know, you are as PMs or engineers, you think, hey, I'm doing the right stuff. But then you bring in, let's say, someone who's actually on the ground. And who sees this on a day-to-day basis? And in this case, it was our director of operations, and we brought him in. And they provided so much additional perspective that so we actually, you know, rolled out few options, and we said, you know, we were thinking this wrong throughout. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, this really circles back to even the very beginning of your story. Is just getting those diverse perspectives in sometimes can break through, right? For for you, so yeah, ne- never. And never a way to seek out additional uh, data, right, uh, on the off chance that that will break through. And it sounds like also putting a little bit of pressure on making the the decision, a little bit of a of a deadline, right, really helps to get things moving along and and get the creative juices flowing. Very very interesting insight. Cool. And nothing like awesome. putting that pressure on. You know, either get in or get out. It's like kind of the uh, actually moves into our next segment. And this I think kind of that where another hat you wear as a PM is the uh, the art of saying no. And so this is a segment we call, you know, ship it or skip it. What do you want to do? Let's do it. No. No, maybe. Yes. I'm going to throw a couple of things to you. You can just say, yep, we're, we'll ship it. It sounds good. Or nope, skip it. Get rid of it. So first one, we're going to go with Bitcoin. So <laughs> Are you still okay. on the ship it or skip it? <laughs> <laughs> For Bitcoin. Uh, okay. Okay, I, I'm going to skip it because I don't know too much about Bitcoin. <laughs> okay, good. good. All right, uh, AI. Uh, ship it. Okay, yeah. uh, working from from the office. Uh, sh- ship it. Okay, okay. And this is something I actually found on eBay, but Flaming Hot Cheetos Lip Balm. Ship it. I'm sure there is a market somewhere. There it is. <laughs> you can find it. I found it very crazy that it existed. I thought that you want something soothing on your lips, not burning Cheetos, but it's a thing. Well, if it's on eBay, there's got to be a market for it, right? Otherwise, why yeah, would you have a what, seller? 
Very cool. Uh, excellent. I don't know. I, I had a couple of ship it or skip it things, but um, like um, I was going to ask you about an MBA. You know, would you, given given your past experience, would you recommend it or not? I think it depends. And I think it, it depends on, I think, a couple of things. I can elaborate a little bit more here. It's not for everyone, probably. It's also very expensive. I was very lucky to get a fairly big scholarship and, you know, to, to get it. But and it's not for everyone because a lot of people I've seen, they don't really get value out of it. And, you know, they see. So if someone really dedicates themselves and they are very passionate about moving into a certain direction, I think it's really helpful. But in this age on YouTube and so many other things that you can do, you probably, if there's a skill you want to learn, you don't really need to be an MBA to do that. Great insight. And uh, uh, maybe not last, but maybe not least. And, uh, you know, being without your family for two years. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't want to go through that again. So skip that. <laughs> Definite skip. Okay. Definite yeah, excellent. Skip. Perfect. Perfect. Excellent. Oh, that's my list, Kyle. Anything else on your side? No, I think that was good. Uh, you know, thank you for joining us today, Akil. Uh, we look forward to keeping up with you and see what you're doing. Thanks for having me here. Really enjoyed the conversation. My my major takeaways really came out of using where you've come from. Uh, so Akil talked about his MBA experience and just the things that came out of that, the social network, some of the the foundations that that I'm sure he continues to use today. Um, and then out of that, that experience working with a diverse group, getting additional perspectives and, and understanding that you're not necessarily the only one that needs to make the breakthrough. You're not the only one with the ideas use the partners you're working with, right? Whether that's your engineers, whether that's your customers, whether that's your sales, right? Whoever it is. Uh, and then, you know, when you have all these options and you have a tough time breaking through, you know, go out there and seek out different perspectives, whether that was from the director of operations that was brought in, right? Or, or other things. Uh, and again, also putting yourself in a particular time box or a deadline really helps with that because if you keep pushing, you'll find the breakthrough. So those were kind of my my key takeaways. It takes it takes a team to 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 launch a product and and keep that product alive. It takes a village, right? So it's yep. uh it's uh it's very important. I think with uh I, I can relate being a you know PM wearing multiple hats and doing different things uh, and having to do things just to move the product forward. Um uh, I like the 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 focusing on uh what is the problem we're trying to solve. Right. I think that again gets lost and making sure that, you know, you, you, you we did joke about North Star, but that is a, a good fo uh, focus on it and making sure you, you have the right outcomes. And if you drive that, that kind of helps uh, uh, you know, drive your product to where you want to go. Exactly right. Um, so, really great discussion. Really enjoyed Akil being on uh, and looking forward to perhaps chatting with him again in the future. That'd be great. Uh, be sure to hit that subscribe button uh, and tune in next time for our next episode of our show.